I'm really a friendly guy, actually, when you get to know me. <laughs> well, welcome back, everybody. It's great to have you. Uh, big day today. This week, my wife has been in Washington State visiting her family, and so it was me and the boys. And uh, <clears throat> I wanted to grow a beard. Uh, my wife doesn't like beard. She says it gets her face all scratched up. And so I, I've never been able to have facial hair. But when she's gone, I'm like, oh, this is my chance. I, I mean, I, since I was 14 years old, I wanted to do this. I'm nearly 40 now, and I finally get my chance to just let it grow. And, you know, I got this kind of Irish baby face, so I've never been able to really get a thick beard either. So I figured, you know, when the older you get, it really should come in good. So I, I told the boys, I said, Daddy's going to grow a beard this week. And they're all excited, you know. And the first day, you know, there's the little thing. You know, it takes me about three days to get a 5 o'clock shadow. And uh, so it starts coming in, and then all of a sudden, to my horror, <laughs> the beard is coming in gray. <laughs> I wait all my life for this opportunity, and it, I mean, it just looked ridiculous with still blonde hair, and it's natural, by the way, I don't dye it, uh, <laughs> and this gray beard, you know, and so I thought, man, I don't want to have my nickname be Graybeard, you know, so... <laughs> So I, I, I decided last night, vanity took over, and I just, you know, shaved it all off. But you know, what's funny is, <laughs> while, well, no, I'll skip that story. I was going to try to dye it with sun in, but it doesn't really work. <laughs> Sit out there in the sun. <laughs> all right. Well, this morning we're going to talk a little bit about overcoming anger and in our Loving the Least series we have here. So if you'd pray with me, Heavenly Father. As we open our hearts now to the Word of God, we pray that uh, you would help us all to just let it sink deep, open our minds, uh, give us the uh, spiritually anointed attention span, Lord, to drink deep of your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. First place we're going to go in the Bible is Ephesians 4, if you want to start flipping there, but uh, I got a couple of things to prep us first. There's good anger and there's bad anger. Whenever you hear a message on anger, you have to recognize that not all situations in which you get angry are bad. One time, uh, when I was uh, younger and, and I lived up in Seattle, me and a friend were going to, I don't know, a concert or something in downtown Seattle. And my friend was a maniac driver. I hated when he drived. I remember when he bought a new car, I thought, that's the dumbest thing you could have ever done. You're going to wreck this thing. You got a brand new car. You know, I hope you got gap insurance. And so we're driving along, and sure enough, he's like, oh, I need to get money. Well, we're passing the Bank of America. It's literally directly to my left. And what does he do? <laughs> Pulls the wheel, you know, and we barely make it into this Bank of America. And then he never, he always got impatient parking. So instead of parking nice and slow, he'd always like to cut the wheel and just zoom in. Well, this time he cuts the wheel, predictably so, and bangs into one of the cars that's parked there. Now, I don't know how much damage, I think his little Honda actually got more damage than whatever he hit, but he did hit it. And there's people, like I said, we're, we're just a little bit away from the Key, Key Arena, Key Center over there in Seattle, and, and, uh, there's people who heard this, bang, and then he, you know, and so there's kind of a gathering crowd around to see what happened. I'm like, all right, you know what, just leave a note, give your name and phone number, and, you know, because we're going to, it was expensive tickets, I, you know, we need to get to the thing. 
and nobody was around. Somebody had probably parked there and gone to the event themselves. So he's writing a note, and he says, here, can you check this over, make sure it's okay. And this is what he wrote. He said, I am the man who hit your car. There are people who have gathered around, and they saw it. They think I'm writing down my name and my phone number. I'm not, but good luck. I know. And so I'm reading this, and I look at him. I go, you can't leave this. He goes, yes, I can. I said, no, you've got to take responsibility. You hit this poor person's car. Ah, there's just a couple of scratches. Look at the bumper I got to replace. That's nothing. I said, it doesn't matter if it's nothing. You've got you to tell the truth. You, you hit this person's car. These people think that you're going to leave a note with your name and phone number. He goes, I know. That's why I wrote the note that way. So him and I, I'm like getting in a screaming match with him over this. You cannot do this, you know. And then he's like, oh, wait, wait, give me it back. He erases good luck, and he writes in there, God bless. Now I'm like, you know, jihad on this guy. I mean, he was my friend, but you know how friends can, you know, get a little familiar. So I am like ready to just, you know, take me home. I don't want to, you know, have anything to do with you. And I was just furiously angry for this person who I don't even know, but they got their car hit. It's an example of getting angry at an injustice. And we should. It should move us to action. To sit by and read a note like that and say, oh, well, you know, it's not my problem. And then just put that on the windshield. It's wrong. There is a place for anger, good anger. Then there's the bad anger. Uh, another time back in my life, I was riding my ATV. And it was on a narrow trail. And, uh, but I like to ride my ATV kind of not gently, but I don't want to get there that quick, especially on a small trail, because then you just turn around and come back. I was heading to this little fishing lake I had, and, and I'm riding kind of, and, and all of a sudden, this guy comes up on a four-wheeler right behind me, and he's trying to pass me. And I'm thinking to myself, no, you are not going to pass me. So I start driving in an S pattern <laughs> so that there's no way he can get around. Well, he senses that. I look back, and at one point he told me I was number one, and, I, and I, I'm, you know, I look back, and I'm like, you are not getting past me. This is not a trail. You shouldn't be going any faster than I'm going fast. I mean, I had this need to be right. I had this need to be ahead of him. I had this need to have my way, and this guy wasn't getting in the pro. He did not understand my needs at the moment. I could not communicate them effectively to him. Little did he know what I was saying inside my helmet. And so finally... There comes this little part of the trail where, where there's, you know, the trail cuts into like a, a divided highway type thing. And so and it's for about 100 feet. So I, I knew I was going to take the right because people, you know, we drive on the right. If there's another quad coming by, I might hit them if I took the left. So I took the right and I shift down and gun it. Well, I'm like in a little 250 four-stroke. This guy's got like a Can-Am 1000cc. All I hear is, and I just see this yellow thing go by me, you know, in the dust. And I just shift down again, and I gun it. I'm going to try to beat him. But in Michigan, it rains. So 30 seconds later, in the ditch with my helmet <laughs> somewhere, and I'm scraping up. I fell. I went, you know. I never, I never beat him. I, I, you know, I was just so angry and so mad. This guy ruined my fishing day. He ruined my day. Now I can look at my three-wheeler. Ah! And I was just, in the middle of the woods, I think I was literally doing something like this. You know? 
And, and all along, I see the dust trail of the guy who's way off there. Now, honestly, that's an example of the bad kind of anger, really the kind of anger that can destroy your life if you're not careful about it. Anger is a powerful emotion. It can be used for good or bad. Over a hundred times in the Bible, it says that God got angry. Now, we know that God doesn't sin. So there is a way to be angry and not be sinful. In fact, anger is one of the attributes of God. Often the Bible speaks of God's anger toward sin and injustice. Of course, we all know that there's times when anger is even justified. In Ephesians chapter 4, if you look closely, beginning in verse 26, it says, in your anger do not sin. So Paul very readily accepts there is, an, there is a non-sinful anger. In your anger do not sin, but do not let the sun go down on your anger, even justified anger, lest you give the devil a foothold. A good question to always ask is, who are you angry at? Not what are you angry at? The funniest fight I ever seen my parents get in was when my dad was working on an old Plymouth. It was like from the late 60s, 70s. I was four or five years old, and he's working on this, and all of a sudden, he's throwing wrenches at it, and he's kicking it. He's, and he gets so mad at it, and my mom goes out and starts yelling at him, what are you doing? He's like, this car, this car, words I can't repeat in church, you know, all this stuff. And my mom's like, you're mad at a thing. It didn't do this to you. And, and they're just getting in this big fight. And I remember I took for the rest of my life, you know, you really got a problem when you're getting mad at an inanimate object. You know? <laughs> and so that was my dad. That was for the tape, dad, if you got that one. <laughs> Situations for good anger. When you see people getting hurt, especially children. And you see them getting lured into drugs or prostitution. The prayer breakfast this year at Bakersfield, I heard about a man who got angry because he went over to Thailand or Cambodia, something like that. And he saw all the little village girls that were in prostitution. They're 13, 14, 15 years old. He said, I got angry. And he did something about it. He set up a missionary society to save those girls. That's a good, that's a righteous, a way to harness that anger in a good, positive way. Even if our anger is justified, however, don't let the sun go down on it. That's Paul's admonition. We can't, I mean, we, we cannot just sleep it off. And I know a lot of people have given this advice. You know what? Just go to bed. You'll feel better in the morning. Don't deal with it now. You're all worked up. Actually, the more we sleep on our anger... It sits there and bakes into something terrible. It settles deep into our heart. It begins to harden like concrete. Anger will distort your personality. You won't see it at first, but little by little, it'll change you. <clears throat> it'll squeeze out your joy, and it'll ooze the smelly black gunk of unhappiness all over your heart and in every part of your life. That's why the very next verse says, do not give the devil a foothold. Rock climbers understand this very well, and I want to do an illustration here to kind of let you know what I'm saying. So remember a few months back, we talked about where the devil is. Where is the devil? He is underneath what? 
our feet, right? If you want to write the devil a love letter, which hopefully none of you ever do, but if you want to write him a letter, you have to write it on the bottom of your shoes because that's where he is. The devil starts underneath your feet. Romans chapter 16, the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. Now, I want to, footholds, if you've ever climbed, done rock climbing, I've done it a couple times. Freaks me out, to be honest with you. What you have to do is you have to find footholds. I, I always called them pegs, but when I went in action sports and I was talking to a real rock climber, he says they're called footholds. You have to find footholds, and as you find these footholds, you climb the rocks. All rocks typically have a foothold pattern, and rock climbers will mark with some sort of paint the pattern of footholds so that rock climbers after them will know which path to take. They're called footholds. And the picture became so obvious of what Paul is trying to say when he says, do not give the devil a foothold. Imagine that the devil starts at the bottom of your feet. That every time we get angry and we don't deal with it, he's climbing up. He may start at the toes, but all of a sudden he's got a foothold at the base of the foot. We get angry again. Another foothold by the ankle. We get angry again. A foothold by the shin. Never happens all at once. You never have one angry episode and all of a sudden you have an angry anger problem. It's a series of and a pattern of undealt with anger where the devil just starts carving out footholds. And where is his destination? Right there. So soon he gets to the knee. Still, we don't deal with anger properly. Starts moving up the thigh, comes through the groin area. Soon, still, we're not dealing with the anger. Gets by the belly button, and all of a sudden now, when he's about here, everybody's starting to notice, wow. He's a real hothead. She's, she's got a real temper. Man, she just goes from zero to 60 like that. What's her problem? What's his problem? Man, I'm not going to share anything that touchy with that person because that might set them off and they're just going to erupt like a volcano all over me. The enemy's foothold is probably right around here. Might not be completely here yet, but it's getting close. And little by little by little by little, and then all of a sudden, he starts to set up scaffolding, and he starts to set up, uh, you know, build ramparts against the heart. Because remember, there's, there, there's still enough of God's presence in us that's kind of pushing back, and all of a sudden, the devil gets his drill, and he's just waiting sending those arrows. What's another situation where I can arouse her anger, where I can arouse his anger, 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 and he's just using it, fueling it to just try to poke that hole in. Now, the, ne the devil will never own your heart if you're a Christian. But his goal will be to control it. And he'll get such a grip and such a foothold around it that it just takes one little thing, and all of a sudden you are in full-blown anger. One little thing sets you off, and all of a sudden, bam! The bazooka comes out, and you're shooting everybody. How many of you, in a moment have said words in the heat of passion that you regret so terribly. And you almost walk away going, who was that? Who was that? It was like, it's almost like an out-of-body experience. You got so angry, you're looking back at yourself going, who is this rageful fool? Is that me? Are you kidding me? How could I do and say those things? Well, it probably wasn't the situation. 
It probably was many, many times of not dealing with the anger, not resolving the conflict, not resolving the inner issues, not, not coming to that satisfying outcome where the devil just builds foothold after foothold after foothold. And again, his target is right here. If he can get here, he can twist and turn and maneuver. And all of a sudden, one little situation happens to you. And you've forgotten the power you have in the Holy Spirit to overcome it. And the devil just begins to turn your heart any which way he wants. This is what Paul's talking about. In your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Why? Because the stakes are the devil. The stakes are that the devil wants to get to your heart. And he's going to use anger to do it. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 4. It says, beginning in verse 2, Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And then Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. You may say, why? What's wrong with the first batch of strawberries? You know, what's wrong with the, the, the first head of lettuce? Cain's heart was in the right place. Here's the problem. The offering that they're obviously bringing was an offering of worship and an offering of atonement. And God would make it clear later on and probably had to Adam and Eve when he skinned the animals to cover their nakedness that the offering we bring to the Lord must first be paid in blood, not vegetables. And so the Lord's looking on favor was Abel's offering was more, Abel, you got it. You understood. Now, Cain, why don't you go sell some of your strawberries, get one of Abel's goats, bring your offering, and then the offering would be equal, and I will look equally on both of them. But Cain never gets to that. Looking on verse 5. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was what? Angry. I'll be honest with you, though. I don't think anger does the word justice. I think it's rage. So Cain was filled with rage. And you'll see why I say that in a moment. And his face was downcast. You see an angry person, man. You can see it in their eyes. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? God knows the answer. He's trying to process with Cain. He says, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? In other words, if you come and provide the right offering, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Again, remember, it kind of slowly crawls up. You know, Cain, sin is crouching. He's building the footholds, building the ramparts, getting ready to drill deep. And then God says this, it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field, bro. And while they were in the field, Cain rose up and killed Abel really over God. To our knowledge, Abel didn't have any harsh words with Cain. 
Cain was mad that God didn't accept his offering as much as Abel's. So he figured, I'll just take out the competition. Now all you got is me. And through his anger, through that rage, we're at the dawn of humanity here. And besides eating that forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden, the second sin we see in the Bible is not the sin of murder. It's the sin of anger, which leads to murder. Because Cain had first killed Abel in his heart before he did with his hands. <clears throat> A couple of things here. First of all, my point for this morning is this, simple life point. Either you'll get control of your anger or your anger will control you. James is saying, I'm sorry, Paul is saying, there is a control we have. When he says, in your anger, do not sin. In other words, we can be angry and choose not to take it to that level. There is a control we have. As mothers, fathers, brothers, workers, employers, and employees, I implore you to hear this truth this morning. Either get control of your anger or your anger will control you. I come from a family of people controlled by anger. I've seen how it can ravage generations. And if there's any comfort and solace I have in raising my kids away from that is that while I may not have all the support of my whole extended family living in the same city as me, I also don't get all their stuff either. And that's one of the things that I hope they never get is that generational passing on of anger to anger to anger to see it broken once and for all. <clears throat> the Bible contains many passages to offer help in this area. And I know many of you, you know, we always go through a paragraph of the Bible, and to a degree we just read one, but really I want to offer you one verse, a verse you can memorize, a verse you can come back to, a verse that is very easy to remember. It's James chapter 1, verse 19, when James says, I desire everyone to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. <clears throat> now, the first part is when he says, listen more, I love, I love uh, what, what uh, Charles Spurgeon said, you know, God gave us two ears and one mouth that we would listen twice as much as we speak. And uh, if you had to boil it down, I know on your notes there, it's why we get angry. Number one is the reason why most of us, the number one reason why most of us get angry is because somehow or another, we have an unmet need, an unmet need. Unmet needs are what cause anger. The other reasons are unresolved conflicts, unholy desires, and unbelief in the Lord. So if you want to fill out your sheet, number one there on, that top, on, the, on the front side is an unmet need unresolved conflict, unholy desires, or unbelief. Now, why do I go into that? Is because really at the base of all those is an unmet need. Uh, unbelief is simply an unmet need that only God can have, and yet we're rejecting it by not believing in it. Unresolved conflicts, again, a, a need that's not being met, and we're just allowing the conflict go on. Unholy desires, desiring something in an unholy way, not trusting in God to meet that need. So at the basis of all anger is an unmet need. 
And I have talked with hundreds and hundreds of people, and I hear how they get angry, and in my head, it just pings. What is the unmet need here? Because that's the only way they're going to get past this if they begin to identify their need. And we all have needs. Parents have a need for their children to respect them. So when their children don't listen to them, they get angry at them because we have a need to be heard and respected. All of you, whether you know it or not, you have a weird, hidden, subconscious need to be affirmed in who you are, that you're right, that you're intelligent, that you're valuable, that you're good at something, that you can contribute in a positive way. That's why when people come up, they say, oh, pastor, that was a wonderful sermon. Thank you for giving us that message. Man, that you, you just did a great job. What you'll probably hear out of my voice is, well, it was all the Lord. God just did a great thing. I was just his best. But in my heart, I'm going more, more. Oh, it's like an itch that gets scratched. All of our needs are itches, and we just want people to scratch them more and more. I was good, wasn't I? Oh, that was great. I really contributed in a positive way. I did not waste your time this morning. I? I mean, I'm just, you know, I may have a holy answer, but I've got things going on to me that's going, yes. One of my needs is getting met. I'm not just wasting all of your lives here, your time. That I'm being affirmed in what I feel God has chosen me to do. You all want that too. I've seen people get in fights on the job. You know why? Because one man didn't affirm another. Oh, I can't stand my boss. Why? He never tells me I do a good job. Oh, I can't stand my husband. Why? Because he never touches me non Anytime I get a touch, I know that there's something coming after that. Why can't he just give me a hug and leave it at that? She's got a need. There's an unmet. She, and oh, wait, we laugh. I've seen women irate over that. Want to leave the man forever because he cannot hug her and leave it at that. I've seen... <laughs> Some of you, that is really pushing it. <laughs> I've seen men. My, my wife don't respect me. Men got a need to be respected. I come home, and she throws the poopy diaper kid in my face, tells me to take out the garbage. Woman, I'm a warrior. I don't change diaper. You know, I mean, we, we want respect, you know. We want, we want, we want, we're, we're a man of the house. She don't give me no respect, man. Real warrior now. <laughs> we all have needs. Now, I'm not saying we're all needy, but what, when you really think about it, Bud can tell you, uh, we, did a, we were at a workshop at the men's conference, and we are talking about needs. And, um, and you know, all these men were talking, and we we're, were trying to identify all of the needs. And, and one man, uh, he... He pulls out his cell phone and shows us a picture of his teenage daughter, beautiful girl. And then he flips his phone. He did this after the thing. He flips his phone, and he shows me a picture of his guns. And he goes, <laughs> there was a boy who came over for my daughter the other day. He goes, I know boys. I didn't want her to go out with him. But if I knew, I, I knew if I said you can't go out with him, she'd be mad at me, and she'd probably figure out a way to sneak around and go out. So I said, sure, bring him on over. And he literally brings out an arsenal of weaponry for the kid to see. And he says, I'll blow your beep 
off. If you do anything against my daughter. He said, in fact, I don't even want you to take her out. But I know she'll sneak around my back and do it anyway. If you, well, the kid is just, you know, he's a good kid. You know, uh, the dad even admitted it later. They ended up dating and everything. He's a good kid. And he said, you know what? I realized when we were talking about needs, I thought I had my, a need for my daughter to be safe. He said, but really, Thomas, you began to do the workshop more and more. I began to realize I was angry at myself because I know how I treated girls when I was that age. And now I got a daughter, and I'm mad that he's, she's going to get somebody like me. I thought, man, that's... I looked at him, and I, I paused for a moment. I said, whoa, that's deep. <laughs> man to man, you know, we're going, we're going into ter- uncharted territory here. <laughs> and he said, he said, you know, I, I have a need for my family not to get me. And I said, well, God sees it differently. God gave you your wife. God gave you your daughters. I think he thinks you can handle it. And so when you really pare down why we get angry, it all comes back to, you know, what is the unmet need, whether it's affirmation, respect, love. And honestly, if I can just put it out there, all of those deep needs that we get angry at, those are all needs that the Holy Spirit wants to validate each and every day of our lives, if we'll let him. I'll have months go by where nobody will say good sermon, Tom. Don't, 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 don't come up and say it at today. I'm not <laughs> fishing for the actually, you know, you know I know what's going on in my heart? You're lying. <laughs> no, I don't want to hear, you know, but... Where do you go? I got to go to the Lord and say, God, do I have a clear conscience? Did I preach what I was supposed to preach? Did I do what I was supposed to do? The Holy Spirit wants to fill and affirm and meet those needs every day that you are special. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are good. You're not perfect. You have room to grow. You have room to improve. But the way God does it meets the need, and we don't get so angry because all of a sudden you're not as important as God is. That's the way it should be. And so James comes and he says, I want you to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Why? Being quick to listen affirms the other person who's speaking, and there's that need to be heard. Slow to speak, honestly, when we're talking a lot, we, we, we tend to be angry. You know, when you're angry, you want to talk a lot. You want to erupt like a volcano. James says, be slow to speak. Then the third thing he says, he says, calm down. So talk, or uh, I know some of you are looking at me like, but what's, I need to fill in the sheet. (laughs) Number one is listen more. You're getting angry at me. You have a need to fill in the sheet. (laughs) Number two is talk less. Proverbs 29.20 says this. Do you see a man who speaks quickly? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Proverbs 29. Number three is calm down. Calm down. Take a deep breath. Relax your muscles. Count to ten. Pound down a shot of gin. No, just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. 
use word pictures to describe your feelings. Uh, that's sometimes very important, especially for men. I can't really describe how I feel very well, but I can put it into a picture. I feel like I'm a prisoner in a cell, and the jailers just threw away the key, and they're laughing at me. All of a sudden, my wife is like, I know exactly how you feel now. Use word pictures to kind of describe how you feel. Then, of course, number four, pray up. Pray up. And uh, last week, I had shared with you that I wanted to disclose something, so I'll, I'll close with this. Um, I had gone away a couple weeks ago to the men's retreat, and I'd done a workshop on anger. And I remember doing the workshop feeling like, you know what? This is a, a miracle of my life. I used to be a very angry individual, very angry, very violent growing up in Detroit, especially before I converted to Christianity, became a Christian, allowed the Holy Spirit into my heart. I was filled with anger, very a short temper, uh, kind of classic Irish temper type thing. And, and so really struggled with it. But one of the things I can honestly say, miraculously, the Lord has to a degree worked that out uh, of my life, to a degree. I think it's still there, uh, unstewarded, but I, I can honestly say I don't have that resident anger anymore. But for the past two weeks, I have. When I came home, and I want you to put his picture up. I think I have it on the slide. Um, this man here, that you see in the picture, he was the missionary in Egypt. I grew up in the country of Egypt when I was a teenager. He was the missionary who presented the gospel to me. I was, did not know the Lord, did not believe in God, didn't care. And when he presented the gospel, he was so filled with the power of God, I felt it. And... Uh, my dad worked long hours in a foreign field. My mom had cancer. She was back in Detroit. I was all alone for 10 to 14 hours a day. And I don't blame my parents for that at all. It's the way it happened. But this man befriended me. After school, I'd go and hang out with him. He took me out. I mean, I, wasn't even, I was not even a Christian, and he was investing serious time and money into me as a youth pastor, as a missionary. And he presented the gospel to me, and we prayed. And I became a Christian. And then he continued to disciple me personally. I'd go over to his house. He took me on trips, took me to Israel twice, paid for half of it. Uh, I can't tell you how many countless meals. And he spent his money on me. You know, the guy that was the real deal. The real deal. And when I came home Sunday night from the men's retreat, I had found out that he had been murdered uh, in a... In a in a terrorist country uh, for terrorist reasons. Uh, he was a pastor of an international church. And uh, I have been angry ever since. It's not the kind of angry that's like a temper. It's not like an emotional anger. It's that deep anger. It's the anger you get every time you think about it, so you try not to. It's the anger that you know you have to release up to the Lord every day, but it's like peeling an onion it's going to come out layer by layer, not all at once. They broke into his house, bound him with his hands and feet with duct tape, and then strangled him with his cell phone cord. And whenever I think of his final minutes, I just want to sign up for the U.S. Army. And anyway, so there's an anger. In some ways, it's a righteous anger. It's, a ri it's angry. It's, it's, it's righteous to be angry at such an injustice. You would not know me. I would not know you. 
I would not be here. I would not be married to my wife. I know this man may mean nothing to you. He's just a face right now and a name. But to me, this was my second father. His last Facebook message to me was three days before he died. And we were planning a camping trip in Portland next year to reconnect and, and we lived in another country. And I have just been angry, very angry. So I've had to do what I'm telling you. Every day before the sun goes down, I have to pray it off of me. Every morning when I ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and I pray the Lord's Prayer as, as my prayer. I don't pray it as a formula. I use the steps, the guide. And when it comes to, you know, Father, help me to forgive those as I've been forgiven, I have to have fresh forgiveness for his killers. Um, because I know ultimately if I don't, step by step he's coming for me and he'll drill in here can you imagine that if you all came to a church with an angry pastor angry people can smile to your face they can laugh and joke they can perform on cue but you'll feel it you'll know it I'm angry inside all of a sudden I'm not here to encourage you I'm here to beat you up and I can beat you up with the word. You ever seen pastors? Instead of encouraging their congregation with the Bible, they're, they're, they go out feeling so horrible that they just think that they ought to kill themselves or something. And maybe that'll... I've served under two angry pastors. Never on staff, but... I, I know how easy that can happen because of situations like that. And so this morning... I can't say, I can say that this is something that's ongoing for all of us, me included. And uh, I want to close with, in fact, close your eyes for a moment, bow your heads. There are a few things where I would say this touches all of us. But this touches all of us, the issue of anger. Problem is, is there's justified anger. And then there's the anger that the enemy's going to use to try to drill a cavity into your heart. And so this morning, um, I don't even think I need to do a show of hands. I'm just going to assume every hand should go up in some way. But I want to take a moment right now to pray over you. I have the worship team.